Good morning. I'm Paul, host of the new PNL, and I'm very grateful you've taken the time to join us today. We believe business needs a new PNL, one that is as much focused on principles and leadership as it is on profit and loss, because we know that if your principles are right and aligned with your purpose, and your leadership has a clear vision and focus and strength and empathy, then your business will be in profit and not loss in so many ways. Just before we start this week's conversation, we would love to have you as part of our official The New PL community. So any listeners who sign up for our newsletter by the end of February 2021 will be sent a free digital copy of our first book, which we're publishing in May this year. It's titled The New PL: The First 50, and it will cover the key learnings to come out of our first 50 interviews from last year. So just go to principlesandleadership.com and either fill out the newsletter subscription prompt on the landing page or just scroll down to the bottom of the homepage and fill in your details there. We look forward to welcoming you into our community. Today is a very special additional episode of the new PNL this week. And I'm very pleased and excited and privileged, in fact, to be welcoming podcast royalty onto the show. Today I'm speaking with John Lee Dumas, host of the Entrepreneurs on Fire podcast series a podcast with an incredible 1.4 million listeners per month and over 100 million episode downloads in total since he launched in 2012. Today, we're discussing with John the principles that underpin his new book, which is due for launch on the 23rd of March this year, The Common Path to Uncommon Success. We'll also be discussing how his time serving on active duty in the Iraq war shaped his perspectives on life and on business in general. And we'll also be looking at what the power of collective thinking and actions, clubs such as the Mastermind Club that John belongs to, offers the individual entrepreneur. So John, a hugely warm welcome to the new PNL. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I am honored to be here. Loving the energy, loving the vibe. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much. Um, many of the listeners who are listening to the new PNL today will know you from your phenomenally successful podcast series entrepreneurs on fire. Um, for those who don't, it would be great if you could start the conversation by just giving a bit of a brief overview to the show and your journey to date to how you got to entrepreneurs on fire. So my journey to date starts in the state of Maine. Um, I was a country boy growing up in a very small town, went to college on an army scholarship. So post-college, I spent eight years as an officer in the U.S. Army, four active, four in the reserves. Did a little 13-month uh, tour of duty in Iraq, so I got some uh, real-world combat experience at a very, very young age, which was quite transformative. After my four years of active duty service, I went through what I lovingly refer to as six years of struggle. And I mean struggle. Like I went to law school, dropped out after a semester, was in corporate finance during the meltdown and walked out the door, tried residential real estate, commercial real estate, <clears throat> nothing was working for me. Yeah. was definitely dealing with PTSD and some depression from my time in the army and specifically my time in war. And uh, it just was not an equating to any kind of success. And I kind of realized that that was my problem as I was chasing success. And it wasn't until the end of those six years, which again, six years, that's not a short time frame. Mm -hmm. But at the end of those six years, I read just these few words and it literally changed everything for me. It's a quote by, by Albert Einstein, which is, try not to become a person of success, but rather a person of value. And that was my problem. I was trying to be a, become a person of success and doing what I thought successful people did, went to law school, went to corporate finance, and none of it was working for me. 
So I said, hey, what would it look like if I tried to become a person of value? And I did not have the answer to that question, by the way. I didn't know what that was going to look like. But planting that seed, germinating that idea, you know, set me on a path of discovery, of reading the right books, of listening to podcasts. And that's honestly back in 2012 when I just found myself loving the platform, the medium of podcasting. And Mm -hmm. really loving hearing these interviews with successful entrepreneurs. Those were the shows that I was drawn to, their failures, their successes, like everything in between. And I remember the day that I was like, okay, I'm loving this content so much, but you know, these, these shows that I found thus far being produced once a week, you know, twice a month, I'm going to go find the show that's being released every day, seven days a week. So when I wake up in the morning, I have a fresh episode with a uh, inspiring and special and successful entrepreneur awaiting me. And that show did not exist. I was shocked. I was like, how is this possible? To me, it would be like that Beatles movie where that guy wakes up and nobody's ever heard of the Beatles. Like yes. yeah. that was like the, like, what, how's that possible? And, you know, I decided to take Gandhi's advice, which is again, stuff I had read in one of my, my readings which is be the change that you wish to see in the world. And I, I wanted to see a daily podcast. Uh, so I said, why not be the person that brings that to this world? And I knew for sure I was going to be bad and I was going to struggle and I was going to be raw and inexperienced. But I knew that was a void in the marketplace that needed to be filled. So I hired a mentor. I joined a mastermind. And I just went at it with tenacity, with grits, with perseverance, and with a lot of lack of experience. And here you and I are talking nine years later, 3,000 episodes later, um, over 1.4 million monthly listens with actually over 100 million total listens to date. And a business that now we just hit our 90th month in a row. That's nine zero of over $100,000 of net revenue in our business or more. I mean, we publish our monthly income reports, you know, just as as a way for us to kind of show, hey, this is what's working for us. This is what's not working for us. Take from this what you will. And um, I hope it inspires people to know that you can do something that lights you up and generate revenue from that and, and build a business and a life around that. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it, brother. Part of the reason we're here today is to discuss your book, The Common Path to Uncommon Success, which I've read over the last couple of weeks and is a, is a brilliant read. So thank you for the opportunity to read that. Um, I wondered why, I guess to start, why you've written it after nine years of podcasting. Why now? Why is the opportunity to write this book? Well, Paul, first I want to say thank you. Like, thank you for reading the book. You know, it's 71,000 words. Like it's not a small book. It's 273 pages. And I wrote every single word, every single page. And to answer your question directly, I didn't have a book to write in 2012. I was a clueless, unsuccessful entrepreneur that was just trying to figure his way. You know, even five years ago, you know, I was successful at that time. Um, I definitely brought entrepreneurs on fire to a multi-million dollar a year business. But you know, I still just had a lot to learn, a lot to experience, and I wasn't ready to write a book. But it was literally the end of 2019 when I said, you know what, let me sit down. Let me just stew in these 3,000 plus interviews that I've now done with successful entrepreneurs. And let me just download, like, what 
are the commonalities? What are the principles? What are the foundational elements that we all share? And by we, I mean the 3,000 inter- entrepreneurs I've interviewed, but me as, as the mentee, literally learning from every single one of my guests yes. like, and building a successful business myself. Like, What have we all learned? And I wrote down a lot of words, but when I really boiled it down, there were 17 foundational principles that we all shared. And it wasn't just principles. It was actually a roadmap. And I, and I put that roadmap in a chronological order. And I said, this is it. Like this is the 17 step roadmap that successful entrepreneurs have taken to find their version of uncommon success, to find their version of financial freedom and fulfillment. This is the roadmap. Now, how do I take these 17 principles and expound upon each one of them and turn it into a meaningful book. And that took the better part of 2020. My quarantine time was spent in this office right here. You're seeing behind me. It was spent two hours every morning, my first two hours, my best two hours writing this book for eight months, 480 writing hours to write this book. Well, well over a hundred thousand words. That's thanks to my, you know, editor and publisher. We've whittled down to seventy-one thousand perfect words that are the seventeen-step roadmap to uncommon success, and that is what this book is, and that's why I had to write it. And I, I love it. I'm proud of it. Good, good. One, one of the the foundations that you continually come back to throughout the course of your book is the need to always add value to the audience. And you cited the Einstein quote, which is also in the book, try not to be a person of success, but be rather be a person of value. And you linked, as you alluded to in your first answer, that to your own career coming out of the military before establishing the fire And you felt you were chasing a life chasing success rather than a life of value and gratitude as you refer to it. So I guess my first question would be, how do people find the space to and I think the key word here is objectively assess where they are living a life of value or whether they are simply chasing success. You know, what are the key indicators that define each of those? What solution are you providing to a real problem? Mm-hmm. If you look in the mirror and ask yourself that question and you don't have immediate answers, you're not living a life of value. And by the way, that's okay. I spent 32 years not living a life of value. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just means there's opportunity right now for you to flip that switch, just like I flipped that switch. I mean, if I could really boil down the 71,000 words into just one sentence, it's, it's basically impossible because they're all 17 completely different fundamental principles. It's a roadmap, step yep, one yep. to step dumb. But one sentence that if you could just walk away with and really understand is that if you can provide the best solution to a real problem, you will win. Yeah. And the word best is key because listen, nobody wants the second best solution or the fifth best solution or the 11th best solution. The best solution will always disproportionately and exponentially win at a massively high level. So you need to find the way that you can provide the best solution. And if you have this grandiose big idea, which I know a lot of you do, that's not enough. Because if it's a really great idea, which I'm sure it is, a ton of other people have had it. And they're doing amazing things with that big idea themselves. They're entrenched competition. 
So don't start there and get squashed like the little bug that you are when you start off, like we all are when yep. we start off. Discover and uncover the niche within that big idea that's not being served, that's being underserved or that's being served very poorly and be the best at that. And it might take two, three, four niches to get down before you can honestly make that pronouncement. Like I am the best solution to this one specific problem. And when you can say that, your success is only a matter of time. Because Paul, when I go back, like when I launched Entrepreneurs on Fire, one thing was very clear. The day that I launched this podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, I was the best daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs. I was the worst daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs. Paul, I was the only daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs. That's the reason I won. So if you want to win, how can you be the only? Like, please remember the truth in the quotes, the higher the barrier, the lower the competition. Doing a daily show was seven times more quantity than my closest competition. The barrier was so high, I didn't even have low competition. I had no competition. I built a moat around my business that was unable to be breached. While most people are launching something that by the way is a great idea, but it's easily replicatable. And so as soon as they have success, people are like, oh my God, look at this person having success in this thing. And they pile on and no matter how, no matter the fact that you were the first mover, that you had the first idea to do that thing, it doesn't matter. You're going to get washed out like everybody else gets washed out. Be the only, have a high barrier, build a moat around your business. Perspective is something that frames most of what we do as entrepreneurs. You know, some some see opportunities where others see roadblocks, for example, and that's based on experiences we've had in life and the perspectives that these place on our thinking. You spent eight years in the military, as you said earlier, and including a time in Iraq, which at such a young age must have been traumatic and transformational in equal measure, I would have thought. I wanted to explore how this time in particular shaped your entrepreneurial journey later when you started EO Fire and how that changed your thinking on, I guess, what matters and what is possible in life. You use the word perspective, and that's so important for any entrepreneur, anybody that's on their journey. Because you're going to have bad, bad days. You're going to have real rough days. You're going to have days that you, you question yourself. And you don't feel like doing anything to do with what you need to be doing, which yeah. is creating content, which is creating solutions to real problems. And that's where your perspective has got to come in play. Like I developed a really thick skin in the military. Even with that, when I launched my podcast, I got haters. Like I got people saying, hey, you are a terrible podcast host. And guess what? They were right. I knew they were right. I knew I was going to be really bad. But it's still like when you're this fragile flower, no matter the fact that you know what you're creating isn't great yet, no matter that you know you, you have great perspective like I did of the fact that, hey, I'm in an air-conditioned office in Puerto Rico right now. Like people can do what they want. Like life is good. I'm not getting shot yeah. at. Yeah on 110 degrees right now in the desert of Iraq with mortar rounds falling around me. It's none of those things, but still like it still hurts. And so perspective, like being able to go into that perspective and just say, listen, haters going to hate hurt people are going to hurt people, but man, 
I don't feel like doing anything today, but man, I just don't feel like I have it today. You got to have perspective just to say, you know what? These days are going to happen. Mm-hmm. There's gonna be bad days and good days. Let me just do one thing today. That's going to move my business forward one step. That's all I'm going to do. And take that one step and then, you know, take some time, refresh, recharge, do your thing. You're not always meant to be going full speed ahead. Yeah. And that was one of my problems early on, honestly, is that I was just always pedal to the metal and I paid for it. So perspective, brother. So what, what were some of the, the big challenges you overcome early in the piece? You know, when, when, when people look back at entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs, and it just looks like a rather linear line to success, but it's never anywhere near a linear line. So what were, what were some of those early challenges that you had to overcome? You've talked about maybe that confidence with you as a podcaster itself. What were some of those others? You know, they say that overnight success is always 10 years in the making. And so true. So true. I mean, I literally, over the 3,000 interviews that I've done now with successful entrepreneurs, there's not been a single person who can really say, hey, I went to bed and I woke up and I was successful. Like it was, mm. doesn't, just doesn't happen. It looks that way sometimes from the outside, like yeah. you mentioned, but in 0.00 cases, is that a fact? So listen, you need to have your touchstone. What is your touchstone? Like, what is the thing that just lights that spark, fans your flame, and you can really look in the mirror and say, you know what? I'm waking up every day and I'm living and operating within my zone of fire. Mm-hmm. Your zone of fire is your big idea. That is the big idea that you're going to do. That's where you need to be spending your time. That's where you need to be operating. And if you're doing that most of the time, the struggles you're going to face, the challenges, the failures, the flops that we all have. And I still have. That's one thing that I love doing with our income reports is publishing our wins and our successes that can be emulated, but just as importantly, and sometimes even more importantly, publishing our failures and our mistakes that we have all the time. So people can learn that, hey, don't do this (laughs) because we just screwed up doing this. But number two, that like, hey, even you know, nine years in and 20 plus million dollars in revenue. And like, we still make mistakes all the flipping time. Yeah. And, and just understanding that and, you know, taking every one of them as a learning experience. That's what I always try to do moving forward. Learning from, from mistakes is a key part of personal development. And you talk a lot in the book about, I guess, the often underrated role personal development plays in an entrepreneur's success. You know, the right mindset's got to be at the heart of driving successful entrepreneurship. What are the tools and techniques that you have learned through this period that ensure you keep motivated and continually focused on the right areas of business, those that are driving perhaps value and not ego, so to speak? A big part about that is your masterminds, which is actually step six in this roadmap. You need to either join or create a mastermind. And I give you very, very specific parameters about what the right mastermind is. Because frankly, even after reading that chapter and getting all the advice from me, nine out of 10 people are going to do it wrong. And it's unfortunate, but it's just, it will happen. But if you do it right and you create or join the right masterminds, everything you just talked about becomes so much easier, so much better. Because when you have two or three people who you know 
like and trust, who you respect, who you're meeting with weekly, who are putting you on the hot seat, who are challenging you, who are holding you accountable, who are putting your feet to the fire, who are making sure that you're getting out of your comfort zone, you're going to win. If you don't have that, I'm not saying you're going to lose, but you're going to win at a much lower level, at a much slower level. And honestly, at a much less enjoyable level, because it's not meant to go at this journey alone. This journey is meant to be with others. Like I've loved seeing the other individuals in my mastermind's careers bloom and blossom over the years. That I get as much joy in that as I get in my business Mm -hmm. blooming and blossoming. And it's a meaningful journey that if you do it right, and again, most of you will do it wrong, but if you do it right, it's amazing. How has your mastermind group changed shape over the last decade, you know, in terms of what you offer it, what you get from it, what you talk about? I mean, as you said, you've all been successful in your own independent entrepreneurial journeys, but does it still sit with the same fundamental principles in terms of what it offers you and your fellow colleagues? The same fundamental principles. Yeah. They still persist. And the two individuals who are in my masterminds, one of them has literally had to make like seven legitimate pivots. I'm not just talking like a tweak, but Mm -hmm. like a full pivot into a new industry, a new business, a new vertical, a new this, a new that, until like, boom, he hit it. And it took a while, but he hit it and boom, you know, everything just started working. And again, not overnight, but things just started working. The other individual was like the other other side. Like he just nailed his big idea from day one. He Uh just had his big idea. He was living in his zone of fire and he's just slowly but steadily grown within that. And and so it's really fascinating. And and I actually would say I'm kind of more towards um, that of the two. Like I really hit my zone of fire with entrepreneurs on fire. And I've only kind of been going from strength to strength with that with other courses and products and services yeah. and masterminds and events and, and books. And, and that with plenty of, by the way, short, you know, stops and failures along the way. But, you know, for the most part, after identifying my big idea, I've gone all in and gone forward with that. And my accountability group has kept me sane and yeah. it's kept me accountable. <laughs> That's what they do. I want to come back to a value for a moment, just to, to touch on that a little bit more. It's value is not a static concept in business. It's relative to the moment and to what the audience or the customers value in that given moment. And it's a reflection of the environment within which it sits, you know, changes in technology for argument's sake, or the way society thinks changes the, the value of value, if you like. So how do you ensure that sort of nine years on, Entrepreneur on Fire, Entrepreneurs on Fire still offers the same or more value than it did when you started. What's the the mechanism, the checking mechanism to ensure you continue to offer that? I never stop. And I mean never stop engaging with my audience. That is the core focus. Because my audience evolves, my audience changes. So I need to keep my finger on that pulse. And there's four questions that I always ask my audience when I'm on a call with them. And I do get on calls because I believe in doing things that don't scale. Whenever I'm sending them messages, we have intake forms for people that are joining our, our, our Facebook groups and our email lists. So I'm gathering this information a lot of different ways. But the, the four questions are, how did you hear about me? Like, I want to know how people are finding out about entrepreneurs on fire. Mm-hmm. 
so I can pour some igniter fluid on the ways that on, on the ways that are actually working. Like we have a lot of assumptions in businesses, and a lot of people run their businesses on assumptions that are wrong. Yeah. Number two, what do you like about my content? I want to know what people like. I want to hear what they're actually liking. It's it's important because I can you know focus on those things. Number two or three, sorry, is what don't you like? And key point here: when one person tells you something they don't like, chalk it up. Don't change anything. That could be an anomaly. Mm -hmm. But if you start to to hear a theme over time consistently, maybe there's something to look into there. And then number four, critical, the most important question. What is your biggest struggle right now? So many people are just like, John, your ideas over the years have been fantastic. Podcaster's Paradise, the Freedom Journal, the Mastery Journal, the Podcast Journal, now your book, The Common Path to Uncommon Success. Like these are all fantastic ideas. How do you come up with all these great million dollar ideas? I haven't come up with a single idea mm -hmm. since Entrepreneurs on Fire, the podcast. Every other idea, concept, product, service that I've done has been because my audience has answered that question. What, are their, what is their biggest struggle? And I've said, I'm getting this answer a lot. This is the theme. I wanna provide a solution to my audience's biggest struggle. Let's do this. Do you think too many businesses are guilty of introspection when it comes to trying figuring out what, they, what their audiences want, what their customers want, rather than, I mean, it seems an obvious thing, but actually going out to them more than they do to have those more deeper conversations with them on what their pain points are, what their issues are, what they enjoy, what they don't, what they like, what they don't. Very few companies spend the requisite amount of time talking yeah. to their customer. Some yeah. do. And again, they win at a disproportionately high level. Most don't. And that's why most businesses that launch 80% plus are not around in five years. Yeah. There's a great chapter in the book titled Discovering Your Niche. And there are two key points that I want to pull out and explore from that. The first one was when you try and resonate with everyone, you resonate with no one. And that was your, your quote from the book. Um, you talk about drilling down or keep niching down till it hurts. And for so many, particularly in the current environment we have today, it's logical at one level and counterintuitive at another because it takes a lot of courage to cut potential customers, even if those potential customers are just in your mind at the moment. So what can you offer listeners to give them confidence that as they niche down, they're doing the right thing, that they are making the right courageous decision. So chapter two is discovering your niche. Yep. That's step two in this 17 step roadmap. Step one is your big idea. And we've talked about this briefly, but the reality is I'm excited that most people are gonna be able to use that step in that chapter to find their big idea. Unfortunately, your big idea is likely a great idea and other people are crushing it right now. So let's now uncover and yep. discover and reveal a niche that is being underserved, a void in the marketplace of your big idea that we can dominate. That is the focus. That is the point of that step. You need to understand that you cannot try to serve everybody. Everybody wants to be like, but wait a second, I don't want to you know, potentially lose out on sales. I want to have a broad, vague market. It's like you're a little girl screaming into a hurricane. Nobody's going to hear your voice. You're going to get drowned out in the sea of noise that we all live in. 
But when you drill down, niche down until it flipping hurts, where you can look around and say one of two things. One, there's weak competition here that I will squash immediately. Or two, there's no competition here, so I obviously will win immediately. That's where you are going to be the best solution to a real problem. That's where you're going to get your initial traction, and that's where you're going to win. Now, are you going to stay in that little niche forever? Maybe. But maybe not. Maybe you're going to expand out and, and broaden. And, and as you get more momentum and proof of concept and other ideas, but you got to start there. That's going to give you your first little fingernail of traction on that cliff to just hang on long enough to pull yourself up and actually start this journey, the 17 step roadmap to financial freedom and fulfillment. Once you've discovered that niche, you talk about uh, in the book about, I guess, that perennial challenge that many of us have in business, that balance between how good is good enough in terms of quality to get it out there and the need to sort of get it out and learn and iterate. Um, and I think you used the Reed Hoffman quote, if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you launched too late, which made me laugh. But, but there's, <laughs> clearly a, there's clearly a delicate balancing act between ensuring it's good enough to have the appeal needed to gather interest in sales as well. Um, so how do you, what's your advice to entrepreneurs, I guess, between how you produce something that's 80% there, good enough quality, but also ensuring it's good enough to actually bring in the appeal and the sales in the first place. How do they strike that delicate balance? It's a delicate balance. It's a delicate dance that we all have to undertake. I can tell you for sure that if you are claiming that you are going to solve a problem that is great enough that people have a serious pain point and struggle with that thing, they will vote with their wallets. Hmm. When people vote with their wallets, that means you have discovered a very meaningful, a very painful struggle, obstacle, challenge, whatever that might be. And so every time I've gone in big to do something, I've pre-sold it. I've said, hey, I've gathered intel from my audience, you, my audience, by asking you the question, what your biggest struggle is. You've told me over and over again, this is a huge struggle of yours, your biggest struggle. Yeah. And now I'm going to create the solution for that. This is what the solution is going to look like. It's going to be ready in 30 days. It's going to cost $500. I need 20 of you to commit right now to give me $250, which will be the total dollar amount for you. You're getting half off by being an early bird. And I'm going to give this to you in 30 days. And if you can't get to that number 20, then it's not a big enough problem in your audience for you to go out and have the effort to create that thing. Now, those numbers will adjust. I'm not saying the number is 20 people at $250 on a $500 product. You figure out what those numbers are for your business and for your product and for your service, but it needs to look like that. And you have to get buy-in before you hold yourself up and you spend time, energy, and effort doing X, Y, or Z. Yeah. I wanted to ask your view more generally on podcasting. It's grown exponentially over the last few years, particularly the last... 18 months and by all accounts that trajectory looks set to continue for the foreseeable future what's your view on why we've embraced podcasts with such fervor recently you know do you think it will waver after the pandemic for example or do you think this is a 
a new renaissance in audio? I don't think the pandemic had anything to do with an uptick in podcast listening. In some ways, I think it actually has slowed it down because the realities with podcasting, it's never going to be the go-to content consumer. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reality is we're not going to sit around at nights, you know, like singing Kumbaya and listening to podcasts together. Yep. Podcasts fit a very specific time in people's lives when they're commuting to work, when they are driving their um, kids to school, when they're walking their dog, folding their laundry, doing dishes. Those times when they're doing kind of mindless tasks and they can multitask, podcasts fit that niche. They fit yep. the certain space of time. There's a limited but fi- and finite but specific amount of time that people can and will listen to podcasts. And I think some of that actually has been taken away uh, because of COVID. Mm-hmm. But the reality is this. It's a very intimate form of content. It's free. It's on demand. It's targeted. You listen to what you want to listen to. What's your passion? There's a podcast on that, period. What's your struggle? There's a podcast that's delivering that solution. So podcasting, in my mind, will always hold that special place in people's days for people that are converts to podcasting. And more and more people are becoming converts every single day and finding ways to fill their time with those podcasts. Is my my walk with my dog every day a little longer because of podcasts? Yeah, probably. Mm. Things like, do I hate folding laundry as much as I used to? No, because I get lost in a podcast and I'm kind of just, you know, doing my thing and enjoying the show. So that's kind of my take on podcasting. It's it's here to stay in a very specific, consuming manner. Mm -hmm. You've completed, as you alluded to earlier, over 3,000 episodes, which is extraordinary. I want to put you on the spot a little and just ask you whether there's one entrepreneurial journey of all those you've spoken to that I not necessarily impressed you the most, but touched you the most, you know, was there something that really grabbed you and you thought, wow, that's more than just an impressive or an inspirational story that's actually got to the heart of, of who I am. You know, I'm actually going to uh, not answer that question directly because yep. this individual who I have yet to interview but I'm looking forward to interviewing him because of his story that you mentioned, which is this is an individual that was born with no hands and no feet, yet he has learned to become a masterful magician, specifically with cards and other tricks. And when you see his clip on Penn and Teller's You Fooled Us, which honestly, before yesterday, I did not even know was a show. um, You Fooled Us which is where magicians try to fool Penn and Teller. I was just like, wow, like the human has such an amazing ability that we don't give ourselves credit for. Like people are just like, oh, I can never be a card magician. And they have two hands and two legs and two feet. Like this guy had to reinvent what it meant because he has no hands, no feet, yet he's, he's a master. And it's just like unbelievable what we can do as humans if if we just want it and we try. Yeah. And is that episode coming up soon, John? Is it, is it a, um, a date that you can provide us at this point? It'll be in 2021. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I wondered, um, when you look back at your childhood, let's say the 10-year-old you, can you draw a line when, when you think about your ambitions as a 10-year-old or as a young, as a young man? 
can you draw a line to where you are now? Can you look back and think, actually, I was always destined to do this. I was always destined to be this. Or has this come completely out of the blue? The latter. And I think that's important for a lot of people to hear. I was not born an entrepreneur. I was on a lot of levels lazy. I mean, I I got the job done. I was an B student in high school, a 3.0 student in college. I mean, I I got by, but I was never about going above and beyond. And I wasn't until I was 32 years old. And then I found my zone of fire. I found my big idea. And I just wish I had looked for it earlier. And that's kind of one of my points is like a lot of you that are listening to this, you're not living in your zone of fire every day. You you have yet to discover your big idea, which is your own fault because you haven't sat down and gone through the process to uncover that big idea. Yeah. I wish I had earlier. It took me till I was 32 to stumble upon it. Um, and that's another reason why I wrote this book because step one, chapter one, let's identify your big idea. I have a system that does it. I want you to either discover your big idea or tweak your big idea that you currently have that needs some adjustment to make it your real big idea or just confirm that, hey, you are one of those few people that are actually living in your big idea right now. Now let's go crush the next 16 steps. Yeah. That's the roadmap. And is that you know one of the questions I had as we, as we head towards the end of the conversation was, there are 17 principles in this in this book. If readers were to take one thing away from the book, what is the most important thing you want to leave them with? Is it around giving themselves time? Is it around always ensure there is value? Or is there something else that you want to leave as that defining principle? I'll come back to the theme that we started with, which is what is the one thing I want people to take away from this book in general? I mean, the quick answer is, follow and apply every one of these 17 steps in your life and you will win. But the one sentence is be the best solution to a real problem. Yeah. That's it. Mic drop. That's it. You will win. Just before we go, John, where can listeners pre-order your book? I believe it's out on the 23rd of March. Where can they pre-order? Pre-orders are key because I have five amazing bonuses for everybody who pre-orders. All of these bonuses disappear on March 23rd. But if you pre-order, if you're an action taker, if you're investing in yourself because you believe in yourself and you know you're worth it, head over to uncommonsuccessbook.com. You'll find a video there of the books with some more details. You actually find all of chapter one, the prologue and chapter one. You'll see uh, the endorsements that I have from Seth Godin, Gary Vaynerchuk, Neil Patel, Dory Clark, Erica Mandy. Um, you'll see all some other details that I have as well that are very pertinent to your success. And um, I'll just give one of those five bonuses away, what, what it is. I am literally shipping to your door all three of my journals, all three, the Freedom the Mastery and the Podcast Journal. The Freedom Journal, accomplish your number one goal in 100 days. The Mastery Journal, master productivity, discipline, and focus in 100 days. And the Podcast Journal, creates and launch your podcast in 50 days. If you're in the United States, I'm shipping all three to your doorstep for free. If you're outside the US, you get our beautiful digital pack of all three immediately emailed to you. There's four other insanely awesome bonuses uncommonsuccessbook.com. 
and we'll have all the uh, the links to those in the um, in the notes that accompany the podcast as well. John, just one final question before we go. Um, the one thing you wanted to leave readers with or listeners with was the best solution to the real problem out of those 3000 entrepreneurs you've listened to um, over nine years. What's the the most inspiring piece of advice you've taken away from one of those entrepreneurs in that time that has transformed the way you look at business and life? Do not fake it until you make it. Be honest, be transparent, be genuine at every step along the journey. People want you, a real flawed human being that they can know, like, and trust. John, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute honor. Thanks, Paul. Cheers. Thank you. To find out more about John and pre-order his book, The Common Path to Uncommon Success, and listen to the brilliant Entrepreneurs on Fire podcast, or to tap into the rich selection of resources he offers entrepreneurs and business owners, just go to eofire.com. And for those of you who are perhaps a little confused by my heavily accentuated New Zealand pronunciation of vowels, that is obviously E for entrepreneurs, O for on, and then fire.com. So eofire.com. And as I mentioned in the introduction, we would love to have you as part of our community on the new PL. So go to principlesandleadership.com and subscribe to our newsletter, and we'll send you one of the first digital copies of our book when we publish it in May. And please do take a moment to rank us or review us. We genuinely appreciate it, and it all helps with our ratings. And finally, don't forget to pop back on Friday for our new PL to the point analysis of our weekly The New PL Conversations. It's a 10 minute summary of the key points you can take away and use in your business. So I'm Paul, host of The New PL. Thank you once again for listening and have a great day.